Well, welcome to Crime Wave today. It's a podcast featuring mystery, thriller, and suspense authors and the stories behind their stories. Crime Wave is part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with over 4 million listeners worldwide. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, and my guest today is Matthew Blake. Matthew is a London-based novelist and screenwriter, and significantly for Crime Wave today, he's the author of one of 2024's hottest new releases, Anna O. It's a good morning America buzz pick as well as a Today Show and a People magazine pick. Wow. So welcome to Crime Wave, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay. So, well, I think the best way to get started is for you to tease our listeners with an overview of the main puzzle that needs to be solved. What's the question at the heart of Anna O? Oh, well, um, so Anna O is the story of uh, Anna Ogilvy, who uh, kills her two best friends while sleepwalking and then falls into a four-year-long deep sleep known as resignation syndrome. And uh, Dr. Benedict Prince, who's a forensic psychologist, is told to try and wake Anna up so she can stand trial for the double murder. So uh, the Anna O case has become a a global celebrity true crime case. And uh, for Benedict Prince, who's an expert in sleep-related crime, this is the sort of case of his lifetime. If he wakes Anna up, then he'll sort of be be almost immortalized. So uh, that, that is the starting point. But... Bendick is convinced that there's more behind the Anna Rowe case. And so he starts delving into what really happened on the night mm. Anna's friends were killed. Uh-huh. So in, a, in addition to this intriguing mystery, you know, what really happened the yeah. night that Anna killed her two best friends, um, uh, can Dr. Prince succeed in waking her up? You know, what will happen if he does? Um, I think Anna O oh has caught people's attention like it has um, because it's it's a real character study tour de force. Yeah. Um, you've got your great, great, great characters. So let's start with um, um, Dr. Prince, okay, yeah. instead of Anna O. Oh. Let's start with yes. Dr. Prince, who for professional reasons, he wants to wake Anna up. Yes. And if he's successful, what's going to happen? Well, that's his great ethical dilemma, because yes. um, professionally, obviously, he wants to succeed, be the, the sleep genius who woke Anna up. But he also knows that if he wakes Anna up, um, she's likely to be convicted of a double murder and spend the rest of her life in prison. So as someone who is sort of medically trained and uh, vowing to do good, that's quite a, a tricky ethical problem. And it's particularly problematic because the condition, the mystery illness she's suffering from, which is resignation syndrome, as the title suggests, as the name suggests, um, is largely caused by the absence of hope. It's a functional neurological disorder or what might have been termed psychosomatic disorder. Um, and it's when people give up all hope of, of in life and in living. And so the only way you can actually wake her up is by restoring hope. So how do you restore hope to a patient who you know if they wake up will probably spend their life in jail? That's the dilemma. It's it's an absolutely um totally twisted thing. I love it. Totally love totally love it. Um it made well when you were speaking just then it made me think do no harm. Well exactly that's that's that is true. And uh Benedict is a is a fairly sensitive soul he's sort of uh wrestling with his own emotions and his own life he can sort of diagnose uh 
the psychological problems in others. He's perhaps not as good at diagnosing them in himself. Um, so he does wrestle with this. It's, it's his great moral dilemma. Um, and that's where he becomes very emotionally invested in Anna's case, in Anna's story. And that in some ways is the prompt for him to delve deeper into Anna's backstory, into her life, to try and prove that perhaps she wasn't completely um, culpable for what happened, that there might be some extenuating circumstances and the story might be more complicated. Yeah, so it's so much fun talking to you because you obviously anticipated my next question, which is, okay, so what's the backstory of Anna? How did she ah, get to this place? Yeah. Well, she is... Um, uh, a writer, actually, a journalist, uh, a sort of, she runs a, a sort of millennial Gen Z uh, magazine. She's a sort of true crime aficionado. Uh, she's 25 when uh, the murder happens. Um, and she's, her, her social media handle is at Amaro. That's how she gets her sort of, uh, her, that tag. Um, and uh, she's grown up in a, in a uh, quite high powered but dysfunctional family. Um, she's had sleepwalking issues uh, all of her life. She's had these sort of um, uh, worrying episodes where she does things while sleepwalking. Um, but they've been sort of covered up throughout her life. She's never really got treatment because her mother is a, is a quite well-known politician. Um, and so uh, these, the sleep problems have been allowed to go on. She's sort of haunted by what she might do, what she's capable of obviously researching true crime, researching all these cases, she's more aware than most of what, what people are capable of. So uh, through her notebook entries, her diary entries in the book, we lead up to the fateful night where she, she carries out the double murder. And after the double murder, she sends a text, which turns out to be the prosecution's probably, um, what do you call it, a smoking gun probably or something uh, yes. like that. Uh, yeah, gun. and I, I didn't write it down, but if I'm remembering correctly, I it was, I, I think I killed them. Is that what it says? Sorry, I think I killed them. That's, the, that's the, the sort of single line that in the public consciousness has damned Anna Rowe right from the start. It's partly why the case has become such a sort of big international uh, mystery case and true crime phenomenon um, because it looks as if by sending that message she must have been conscious of carrying out the act. That's the key sort of uh, mystery at the heart of the case is if you're sleepwalking and your eyes are open but your brain is asleep, are you intentional? Do you mean to commit the act? Um, and by sending that message it looks as if she must have been intentional and therefore she must be guilty. That's right. So we're looking at an intent intent here, her intention to kill, whether it really, whether it's um, deliberate or a yes. function yes. of being uh, asleep. And if you commit a murder while you're sleepwalking, are you guilty? Well, this is, this is the great um, and extraordinarily fascinating area of research, which I sort of delved into while writing the book. Um, and uh, for any listeners, if you just start Googling sleepwalking cases, you can go on Wikipedia and there's the entire <laughs> world. You'll get lost in it. Believe me, the whole evenings will go by. Um, and uh, the answer is that the law is still uncertain. People still don't know. Um, some people have invoked the sleepwalking defense and been found not guilty. They've uh, sort of walked away. Other people have been found guilty of first degree murder. So um, the question is, does a jury believe 
that you were sleepwalking at the time of the crime. I was speaking to a sort of world-renowned urologist who told me that the only way you could scientifically prove either way is if you attached basically electrodes to someone while they were carrying out the act. So uh, that is the only way you could determine conclusively whether they were sleepwalking when they committed the crime. So obviously, that's yeah. So um, the answer that's that's in some ways is I'm always as a mystery writer looking for things with an inherent mystery to them. So resignation syndrome is a mystery illness that's fascinating to me. S committing murder while you sleepwalk is inherently mysterious because you can never conclusively prove either way what happened, and uh, therefore you get uh, the tantalizing mystery of it. You certainly do. Um, I'd like to detour for a moment here, Matthew. When I first um, saw the title Anna O, I got the tiniest twinge of recognition. Now, university is many years in my background, but I did minor in psychology, and there was a real, there was a real Anna O. It was actually it was a pseudonym. Yeah. It was a pseudonym. Um, who was an early recipient of, of um, what was called talking therapy, which we now know as psychoanalysis. So it's not a coincidence, is it, that your main character is Anna Ogilvie? Or no, not at all. It's, it's, I, so I, um, all my favorite thrillers, I think, uh, are sort of so based in fact and so real that the terror feels as if it's... Um, all actually happening. I mean, that's true of Silence of the Lambs. It's true of uh, all the greatest thrillers. And um, so I was determined that I wanted everything to be based in fact. And so I was doing all my research into psychology and Freud and um, came across the fascinating book, Studies in Hysteria, probably the sort of the dawn, the start of modern psychology. And of course, the most famous case in Studies in Hysteria is the case of Anna O. Oh. It's the first one written. She's probably the most famous um, psycho psychology patient in literature. Um, and what's fascinating about that is that her symptoms uh, for what was termed hysteria, but are basically psychosomatic. They are the idea of how the mind influences the body, which of course for resignation syndrome is a similar thing. So there's a direct link between what uh, Freud and Breuer were looking at then and what uh, Anna is suffering from in the novel. So I thought I'd pay homage to that lineage. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so Anna O came from that. That's, that's, that's lovely. And as you alluded to a while ago, looking into cases of sleepwalking, or merely looking into the case of the original Anna O will keep you up late at night. And I have to say, this is, has nothing to do folks with with Matthew's book at all. But um, one of the phrases that Anna of oh, the, the original NO used to discuss her talking therapy, uh, which really got my attention, was chimney sweeping. Oh, think, that's a great and one. I, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it just, it evokes so much that narrow, that narrow space, the yeah. dark and dirty narrow space where you just have to go every once in a while and yeah. just rub it out. And I just thought yeah. that was, yeah. that was, it was great. Well, um, Dr. Benedict Prince is not only very sympathetic and complicated, but he's a, a good man with his own, own secrets. The introduction to him. Yes. Um, you have him, in your introduction to him, I should say, you have him speak one of the most interesting first lines of any novel I have ever read. I think it would be better if you could do it on your own uh, by coming out in sort of this manly, your manly voice instead of mine. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the, the opening line is, um, 
the average human spends 33 years of their life asleep. Think about that for a moment, yeah. folks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? That, when I came across that uh, that fact, that really blew my mind and sort of uh, I thought I was looking for something universal. I think all the best thrillers are about something universal. And I thought, wow, that's that's an entire second life. And that's something that all eight billion of us on the planet do. I mean, it's very few things that unite everyone across different continents, but sleep is one of them. So uh, when I came across that, I thought, wow, there's a whole got to be something amazing to write about sleep and uh, that's how the the novel started well when you think that we spend a, a third roughly of our lives as asleep what's happening in that third of our lives well, exactly. exactly and uh what are we capable of what do we remember i think all of us have had a moment where we uh we sort of between sleep and wakefulness and the the nightmare we had which seems so compelling and so logical is still there and in my case, it's usually about uh, not revising for an exam, not preparing for a, an academic <laughs> exam. And there's that sense of panic that you have, that you're about to take an exam which you haven't prepared for. And then the sheer relief when you fully wake up and you realize it was all just a nightmare. Um, we've all had that. And I think that the power of the unconscious, the power of those anxiety dreams is so real and so so intense that, uh, yeah, there's, there's such a there's great suspense to be got from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that's another universal, actually. I yeah. think another reason why the book is so popular. Um, so let me ask you about one more name. Yes. Ben's mentor, uh, who's the head of the sleep clinic where Anna yes. O is now, um, is Dr. Bloom. Yes. Now, is yes. she any relation to Stephen and Molly in Ulysses or not? Am I making that one up? <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, that's very distantly. I think I, mean, I have okay. read these, right. but it's no, it's not a direct. Okay. Though she has some of the sort of Joycean exuberance about her. She's a she's a very big, larger than life figure, yeah. um, who's the sort of head of the whole Abbey Sleep Clinic, and uh, yeah, she's sort of what Ben's mentor watches over him, um, and then without you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say she. Things happen to her, and then Ben is exactly. forced to to, uh, to uh, sort of be on his own and, and find the answer himself. Well, aside from Joyce, literary and, and philosophical um, references abound. So, what um, what sort of background do you have um, to create uh, such an an interesting tapestry in your book? Well, I I, um, I studied uh, English literature at university, so uh, read all the the stuff there, and that uh, that contributed to to the book and the thematic references, I guess. And then I also spent about a decade uh, working in politics here in London, uh, sort of being a speechwriter and uh, researcher, bag carrier, all that sort of thing. So I I, I think the the two influences the the sort of academic literary influence, and then the much more hard-nosed um, speech writing thing all helped with the book. I hope it's absolutely thrilling and um, fast and twisty and um, does everything you would expect from a mystery. And then, uh, like all my favourite mysteries, I hope there's all those other things there for readers who who enjoy that stuff and google that stuff and get lost in that so yeah my favorite thrillers have both those elements and i wanted to write something with uh, both those things in two that's great well uh, that you're a speechwriter uh, ha or have been excuse me a speechwriter yeah. is obvious from your fluent very conversational um writing and um 
I guess a cinematic approach to your scenes. I don't know if that's the correct word, but they're very easy, I think, for any reader to, to, to visualize. You also incorporate a lot of, uh, in addition to Aristotle and all those other people, you incorporate a lot of modern film references. And I- Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. Uh, a bit of a Hitchcock buff, yes? Yes, yeah, no, that that is oh so subtle references throughout. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a lot yeah. of Hitchcock in there. Um, Benedict is, is a sort of Hitchcock fan. Um, yeah, no, I'm so I mean, my I'd say my two biggest influences are uh, probably Agatha Christie and Alfred Hitchcock, the two sort of uh, huge mystery names, I guess, that are global and sort of almost bywords for suspense and thrillers and things. So yeah, they they um, influence everything. And uh, I think uh, particularly with psychological thrillers, Hitchcock is, is just unbeatable and I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Absolutely is. Very, very interesting references to yeah. them. And I can see the Agatha, I can really see the Agatha Christie mm. too. I hadn't, hadn't noticed that before, but I do get it. It's very much of a, a the, the sort of intricate puzzle that you expect yeah. from something yes. like that. So um, is it, I understand that you've just launched this wonderful book and you're probably going to be busy with it for most of the spring. So um, I, I wonder though, <clears throat> selfishly, are you writing something new? Yes, I am actually. In fact, just before talking to you, I've uh, been doing edits on the, the second book. It, it's uh, shaping up very nicely. It's all I was trying to find another topic that was a sort of big and universal sleep, and I came across uh, memory research, and particularly false memories. Um, and uh, that's even more, the research that's even more gargantuan, and uh, the world of that's even bigger. So it's all about false memory, um, psychology. Uh, it's set in Paris, so it's a slightly different, uh, slightly more exotic setting. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, I'm hoping that'll be out in uh, 2025. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, so excited to hear that news. Um, uh, before we go off the air, uh, can you tell our listeners where you're most active online, where they can find you? Yeah, so uh, Instagram is my most active presence. That's uh, Matthew Blake Writer. And then uh, also on X and Matthew underscore underscore Blake. Excellent. Um, I, I want to thank you a lot for taking the time to chat with us today. Congratulations on a stunning debut. Um, Anna O is a terrific book. Um, it's A, well-written, B, will keep you, uh, B, you'll learn a lot, let me put it that way, and C, it'll keep you guessing until the very, very end. So best wishes for tremendous success with Anna O and for your future. And I hope you'll come back sometime, Matthew. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been wonderful to talk and uh, yeah, I can't wait to be back.